Welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. And for those of you that have been listening to our Royals podcast, Reese says it another way, and we haven't really talked about that, Reese. Reese says... Do we say it a different way? Yeah, you actually say, like, podcast by Kansas City fans for, or like no, you do it the he, opposite way. He flips it. <laughs> yeah, he does it the other way. Which, which is, is funny. But which is yeah. super Hello, weird. everybody. <laughs> I love it. And That's bizarre. I just want everybody to know that like we we are aware that we're saying it wrong, I guess. Well, at least one part of it. Are, are, are we by for or are we for by? I've been saying uh, by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. Which is great. That's good because I didn't know if you were trying to like correct me and then like not tell me, but you would never do that. No. So I'm glad that it was just a mistake. So here we are, Kansas City fans. I am Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo. We have Reese, aka Referees, and Kyle, aka Oracle of 39th Street. Y'all, we have a great episode today. We are so honored to have Courtney Service of Service Brewing Company in Shawnee, Kansas. For those of you that have been following us, know that we also do beer interviews with people in the industry to talk about everything about their brewery and things going on in the beer industry. Uh, Like I said, we had Carlton on from KC Beer, and then we also had Skip on from Weldworks. But we are so excited. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us today. I was so nervous because I had been emailing info at service, and I didn't know it was you this whole time. I was like, man, if I can get through to to her marketing person, I can get to Courtney. But it was you the whole time! (laughs) I'm just glad that you pronounced my name correctly so <laughs> i i did it with lots of research and i mistakenly didn't say it right last week and reese corrected me but i listened to your podcast with um what was it boards and beer i think maybe a few years ago and i was like yeah, yeah. okay they just talked about it for 30 minutes i have to make sure i don't i don't mess <laughs> up like like what happened there <laughs> yeah. that was pretty funny so thank you courtney for being here um uh yeah so let's jump right into it uh before we kind of talk about you know going through your life and and all the great things you guys are doing at service uh how have you guys been during during covid you know now that we're on the the end well i don't know if we're on the end of it but but people are finally getting some people are getting their second vaccine almost all of us have gotten our first vaccine we're so excited um how has service been doing and and what have you guys been doing differently or what have you learned from covid uh well we're we're doing okay um initially obviously i was pretty nervous the idea of shutting down and not being able to have people in the tap room was uh, a little alarming but we already did quite a bit of to go um like we did a lot of cans already and we had crawlers so we were i think in a better position to pivot into the sort of like to go um direction than a lot of breweries that do like glass you know growlers or don't have any sort of to-go options so i feel like we we were in a good place um and initially i mean people they were stuck at home and so they were all about drinking and we were we were doing really well despite you know the the fact that we were closed Uh, but as you know the holidays came on you know came came to fruition and it was cold and kind of gross out that less people were less inclined to 
to do the to go thing. And, um, so we, I mean, we just, we just tried to get through those, those sort of slower months. And now I feel like people are ready to drink again. The weather's decent here. And so anyway, we survived and yeah, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Um, you asked what we'd learned. I would say that the, the largest uh, lesson that we have learned, um, when it comes to like our approach to selling beer is the, the pre-order thing we had never really done. We'd done some like ticket sales and things like that, but we'd never done like any sort of pre-ordering for beer. And I think there are a lot of really positive things to that concept. And I'm extremely excited to see how it morphs if people still want to do that. I mean, in a lot of ways, there are a lot of beers that we would put out that you'd have to be there. Like you'd have to get there at Friday at two o'clock and you'd have to drink it on tap or order it to go right then and there because it might not be there on Saturday. And so the pre-order thing enabled people to get a hold of um, beer that they might not have otherwise been able to get a hold of. So I don't know how we'll adjust if we'll continue to try to do both or what, but that's been something that has been kind of, I think, good for a lot of breweries, not just mine. Um, so anyway, that's probably the biggest lesson that we've learned. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was totally thinking when when I was working for Weldworks how how the pre-order system is totally going to stay I think because because people love to be home and people want to try the latest beers like of course service you guys put out so much like different styles different beers almost every week, right? So so I think that appeals to people that want to stay home but also like get exclusive beers from service and get to try it and get to take it home. So I think stuff like that it was like a blessing in disguise that we like have formed the system in the beer industry that we can, you know, you don't have to just have it just on tap, but now you can order it and you can just drive up after work, which is so, you know, especially people that have children or, you know, someone that maybe wants to stay home and make dinner or whatever with anybody. So I think, yeah, I think it's super cool. And I'm glad, I'm glad you guys, it worked really well for you guys. And that's amazing. And yeah, like I said, if people are ready to go out again and, you know, hopefully people are getting their vaccines and, and yeah. Beer industry's back, baby! And I'm sure Reese will put in a nice, like, cool music there. Um, okay, Courtney, let's talk about something that you, you're you not ready for. I, I know you're not ready for this because you're like, oh, people talk about this, this, and this. I'm, I'm going to throw something at you. So I saw that you originally were a writer and that you uh, were writing for newspapers and you love crime stories. So what I really want to talk to you about, I don't want to talk about beer. I just want to talk about like, what is the craziest story that, that you've like written about in, in, in a newspaper about crime or something that you maybe weren't like supposed to write about? And they're like, no, it's an ongoing investigation. We can't talk about this. Like I, I want to know about like the fun, you know, that like the crime scene when you were writing and news. Yeah, it, that's kind of, I mean, it's really an interesting, I would say, like, section of my life. And I remember doing an interview with someone, I don't remember who it was or, or what we were really talking about, but, but they asked me, like, you know, is this the, is brewing the coolest job that you've ever had? Like, is it, you know, the thing that you've enjoyed the most? And I absolutely think that that is true. But I would say that the, the time that I spent as a, a cops and courts reporter, um, is probably the, the, the most interesting and fulfilling thing that I ever did before that. After that, I, I went into marketing and I had some really fantastic jobs that paid a lot better than working for a newspaper. And I was like 22 when I was working at a newspaper. So I knew nothing about life, but 
anyway, it was definitely the most interesting period of time in my life. And, um, it definitely gave me a unique perspective on a lot of things. Um, I didn't know what type of journalist I really wanted to be. I really liked to do like the feature side of things, not necessarily like the breaking news side of things. I never really wanted to be that like annoying reporter that was like, Hey, I heard you got fired because there's this big scandal. Like that just wasn't my thing, even though I had to do that sometimes. Um, but I didn't really know. I kind of like to write the fluffy stuff, you know, like the, the fun stories about something cool that is unique about someone or their business or, or whatever. Um, but I eventually got kind of pushed toward the, the cops and courts beat and I was completely intimidated by it. Like basically, you know, there's a pile up on I-35, go there and figure out what's happening. And you're like, okay, I'll climb over this fence and I'll run across this highway. Like what? you just, you don't get like trained for that in college. You're like, that's not, yeah. So anyway, eventually I got really interested in the, the, the courts piece, like going to an actual courtroom and that in and of itself is like stressful. And where do you go? Are you allowed in there? You have to walk through metal detectors. Will they let me take my laptop? Like just a lot of like logistical things that you again, don't like, you're not prepared for. And I obviously didn't have a lot of experience with like sentencings and pretrials and, you know, all of those different things. So I didn't know what any of it meant. And, but I, I really did enjoy it. And I had, um, someone that I worked with that, that was the editor at that time and, and she had had a passion for it. And so she was able to kind of help me through it. Um, but I wrote a lot of really interesting things. I mean, I worked in a, a small town, so it wasn't like there was any like huge stories that were happening that the whole world was talking about or anything like that. But I mean, I wrote a lot of sad stories, you know, car accident stories. I wrote a lot of like bizarre stories about like a, a pastor that got like in a bunch of trouble for stealing like a, uh, an electric bug zapper from a hospital, just like bizarre things like that. I mean, that was really <laughs> scandalous that this pastor would do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bizarre stuff. But uh, what did, what did he use it for? If I may ask, he just took it. Like he just, he just walked out of there with it. And then he got into some trouble for like pressuring elderly people into like giving their life savings to the church and things oh, like that. So no. it was like a whole, yeah, he wasn't a very good dude, but anyway, so that was something interesting, but probably the, the most interesting story that I ever wrote was about a guy that had, was like not a very, he was in some trouble and he, I think he was into drinking and drugs. And one night he and a bunch of friends were playing around with a gun and he accidentally set the gun off and killed a, a woman, a, a girl. And we went to trial and everyone like obviously hated this man for, for what he did. And I just felt sorry for him. Um, and so in the, the course of the story, I really, um, kind of tried to, to shed some light on who he was as a person and not necessarily focus on the fact that he killed this girl, but just like how sorry he was and how he had like a family that he was, you know, not going to get to see and just all these different things. And, I got in a lot of trouble from um, the, the the publisher and the editor because they didn't like that spin. They didn't like focusing on that piece. But that series of articles that I wrote, I think it was like eight different stories over the course of his trial, is probably the, the story that I am the most proud of ever writing, despite the fact that it was kind of the moment where I was like, yeah, 
I don't think this is for me. I don't, I don't think I have the stomach for this type of, uh, you know, a thing. And so that's when I sort of started to pivot and got a job at, um, the college in, in that town that I was actually also covering the beat of. And so it just kind of was like a natural evolution for me. But, um, yeah, I, I, I look back on that time and I'm like, you know, I, I would get like threats from people that were like, I was writing stories about that they didn't want me to write Oof. and just, a bunch of stuff like that. But I remember after that story, the woman, the girl that was murdered, her mom or killed, not really murdered, but killed. Her mom came up to me and thanked me for the way that I had written the story because she felt like not only had I given the man who had killed her daughter, some sort of a, like just something about, him. I, I had given a, like a, a story to him, not just like, this is what he did, but she felt like I had also honored her daughter in a way that she felt like was fair. And so despite the fact that things did not go well with my boss, I felt like I had done my job and I felt like I had, I don't know, like just achieved something that allowed me to just kind of walk away from that. But I definitely still like, if you Google my name, like there's that story is still out there. All those stories are still out there. And it definitely gave me a, a unique perspective, like when I'm watching, you know, like crime shows at night and stuff like that. Like, oh, I I kind of <laughs> know what's going to happen, you know, like that, like just like a different perspective that I wouldn't have had. And it definitely like makes you appreciate like where you've come. Like I started out as a, you know, a, right. a reporter and then I went into this and now I'm like brewing beer. So it's like a really weird I don't know, like a, a, a weird route that I went to get to where I'm at now. Which is which is super cool. Like I, I, I think that all three of us can can also kind of re- relate in that because we're all singers or pianists. But then we also do other stuffs, and that kind of like informs us as people, which is really cool. I mean, but definitely not what you just said. I mean, yours is like you just told you just like gave us your well, soul. Listen, that's which is a- awesome. <laughs> like, I was I was I was expecting like yeah, there was this murder, and then and then I was like discovering it, and then I found the bone, and I was like. I discovered it, but you just, that, that but was that's an amazing story. story too, because like the humanity of, of people who get themselves into, you know, criminal situations like that, that gets totally erased from, like you said, like the five o'clock news where it's, you know, good and evil. Right. But like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I definitely think that I like to think that the stories that I wrote, not just those, but, you know, that a, a kid that died, um, you know, in a motorcycle accident that I wrote about. And I instead of just writing what happened, I wrote about who he was, you know, those types of things. I really feel like I hope that I was able to honor those people in some way. And oftentimes I I would receive letters or you know, things like that from the the parents or the family. And so it was, it was fulfilling in a in kind of an interesting way, but I definitely am glad that I am no longer doing that because it was really, I mean, it was, it was really emotional, like to, to sure. feel like you were responsible for, you know, portraying that person in, in a fair way or just giving them some level of, as you said, as like a humanity that, that maybe was not, uh, super, um, not what someone expected, I guess. Yeah. 
there, there really is no good way to pivot into beer from this now. So I'll, I'll try. Also, I'll, I'll, I will try my best. Listeners, not only drink service brewing because of their good beer, but because of Courtney's good heart. So thank you, Courtney, for sharing that story. That was awesome. Um, and sorry, I'm so cliche. Uh, but now let's talk. So now let's talk about then going into home brewing from obviously an amazing time that you had with. Uh, with the crime, uh, with crime stories, and you know, covering all that stuff, like you said, the the cop beat. Um, were you doing homebrewing during that time, or this was afterward, and then you started doing homebrewing? So after college, I moved to the small town, and I, I got this you know terrible job um, as far as like pay goes, and I worked really terrible hours. I mean, if if something happened, it would come across the scanner, whether it be at two a.m. or you know, 10 PM and I was expected to go. And so I didn't really have like much of a social life. Um, I didn't really know anyone in this town. Like I just, I was just there hanging out and writing stories. And, um, I decided that I, I wanted to get an, another job, a second job. And so I got a job, um, working at Walgreens in, in this town. And, um, while working there, one of the, um, managers was really into beer and, he could see that I literally knew no one and had no friends. And so I would like pick up shifts. Like it was really a really sad time. And so <laughs> he would be like, Hey, you should come with me to a meeting. And I'm like, what kind of meeting are we going to? Like, what is this? <laughs> that is, yeah. And so he would describe it to me and I'm like, what you guys just all go to this church and you drink? Like what? This seems odd. But I had literally nothing else to do. So I, I went with them and I thought it, again, I still thought it was really weird. Just the idea that they're all sitting in a church drinking and talking about beer. But it was, it was interesting to me. It, I didn't know anything about beer. I wasn't a beer drinker. Um, but I, I kind of liked the, just the atmosphere and the fact that there were all of these people. I mean, you know, 50 people in a room talking about beer and how to make it and what they love about it, what they don't like about it. And it was just definitely like kind of, um, opening to me. So my friend, my boss, um, he basically would get, get together with me on the weekends and he would just like bring over like different beers, nothing like unique. I mean, I, I hadn't had anything. So him bringing over like a variety pack of new Belgium was like, wow, these are all beers I haven't tried, which now I'm like, uh, I've tried those beers 95 times. But at the time, I was like, 1554? <laughs> oh my God, I love this. And so I would sort of try to figure oh, out gee. what I liked and what I didn't like. <laughs> and it just sort of evolved from there. He invited me over when he was brewing. And I just kind of got obsessed with trying as many beers as I could and trying to figure out how to emulate them. And yeah, so... Yes and no. I was um, homebrewing for a portion of the time that I was writing, but it was probably toward the end of that. And then when I started my other job, I was definitely doing it then. So then what brought you to Lawrence and then furthermore into the Lawrence Brewing Society or Association? Yes. So um, I was living in Ottawa at the time, which isn't very far from Lawrence. And so my, my friend, um, he belonged to the, he lived in Lawrence and he belonged to that, that club. So that's where I started. And, um, it's kind of, I would say like the, um, the very beginning of my, my roots still, you know, despite the fact that I am now in Shawnee, like those, those people that those, that group of people 
really are responsible for teaching me what I know now. Um, whether it, I mean, all of them, I, I would, you know, I'd find the person that was the expert in the club at the thing that I wanted to learn about. And I would ask them a million questions and, um, it, it just, it was, it was a really great group of people. And it, it was really, um, I think it, it was paramount for me to be able to become the brewer that I am or to, to get to where I'm at now, I guess. After reading that on, on your bio about the Lawrence Brewers Guild, I couldn't wait to ask you about it because, that was also my gateway into craft beer, mostly through my best friend and roommate in college, who's who was a chemical engineering major, but he got into, you know, I mean, like we, we tried to brew in a bag together in like our sophomore year in like 2012. And like since then, he's gotten really into brewing up in Minneapolis. And uh, I have tried it a couple of other times, not to great success, but uh I, I, I was thinking because, I, you know, I probably went to maybe five or six things with him and there's so much, you know, trading. stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, I probably have like had your beer before back then. Uh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> maybe. And it might not have been very good. I but. mean, I'm sure it was amazing to <laughs> like everything. Like you said, it's like a new world. So. Do you remember, did you ever go to any of those events at Ted's Tap House when that used to be a thing? I know it closed later. Yeah, so Ted, yes, I, I, I'm very aware and familiar with Ted and we are still Facebook friends. Um, but he like lives in like Florida or something now on a boat and like, oh yeah, yeah, like living his best life. But yes, I went there regularly because I knew Ted and because a lot of the guild members hung out there and I just like ran up and down Mass Street. Like I owned the place for a while, like just hopping from place to place, (laughs) trying everything, acting like a fool. Like I I have no idea what I was doing back in that day, but it was a great time in my life. Harbor Lights. Uh, did, well, one last question about that. Did you happen to go to, there were like a hundred people, uh, not that many, but a ton of people there. My my friend did like a lecture about the science of beer one time at Ted's. I don't know. There were like a bunch of people there. I'm not. I can't remember if I, I went to a lot of events at Ted's, but I'm not sure if I went to that one. Or, I know that I would, he would like put on like new beers all the time, like a lot of like barrel age stuff. And I would go and then I would like try to convince him. He'd have like all these random kegs in his cooler that were like special. And he was just like sitting on them. And I would be like, Hey Ted, can we put that on tap? Like I would just try to like convince him. I'd really just try to get him drunk. So he'd put on some awesome beers that <laughs> I could like drink. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and just free. Like, oh, yeah. just, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> amazing that's awesome uh courtney so did did when when you won homebrewing competitions what styles did you win in and are those similar to what you did at what you are doing at service or was it you know you were doing a totally different style and now you're trying new things at service uh no i definitely entered um competitions with different beers than i brew now but i did not win any of them with those beers. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I would enter, you know, uh, a sweet stout and I would get decent remarks and maybe like a third place every now and then that I was absolutely thrilled about. But that same beer, if I added Oreos to it or whatever and entered it into the, you know, the spice and herb category, I would, I could win at that. So it was clear to me that I, definitely was better at one thing than the other and so i definitely continue to brew that way now so 
Wow. Wait, wait. So I'm I, I'm I'm confused. So the so the spice category for like an Oreo stout, is there a difference then in competition between like an adjunct stout and a non-adjunct stout? So basically there's like um you know, just like your base style and you can enter it and it they expect it to be exactly what that that style should be. And then they have like these categories like fruit and just like these catch all categories where you can enter something that wouldn't fit in any of the traditional categories and they judge it differently. Yeah. Yeah. There's also sometimes they'll have like special, like I remember I, I, I won one that was like supposed to be like a cocktail themed, like the, they were doing some sort of like a theme thing. And so I was like, Oh, I'll make like a whiskey sour beer. Like I was always really good at those things. Like the, the sort of unique stuff, not necessarily your traditional Hefe category. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, but well, that that actually makes so much sense because I was curious as to like, because uh, from what I saw service brewing, you you were one of the first people in Kansas City to really do like adjunct um, stouts to do like out there sours, slushy sours. I mean, that kind of stuff in 2018 when you guys first opened, uh, that was not normal to Kansas City, right? I mean, I'd, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who is even doing that other than you guys right now. Um, so that actually makes sense. Is like that kind of then inspired you to do those certain beers in service, I would assume? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there are are probably a lot more breweries now in Kansas city that are, that are trying different things. And there probably were some that would try, you know, one every now and then. Um, but it's really unusual for us to have a beer on tap that doesn't have some weird in it, like something in it. Um, whether it just <laughs> be so like, cool. like right now we have a Hefeweizen on that has lemon and orange and, and lime, just like just a little bit. Like it's just, it, I don't know. There's something about like, it's really hard for me to just toss on something that is extremely yeah. pure. Like it's just not what I want to drink. And so it's not really what I put out there. I also, I just get really bored, um, with this, like brewing the same beer over and over again. Like I just could never do that. So it, it's probably more just about me being completely unable to focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so curious as to like, how did you get the, uh, the uh, Kansas city beer, beer scene to like really embrace these kind of things? Because for me in Colorado, uh, slushy sours are normal. I mean, I see it like in a random brewery in Colorado Springs when I like make a left on Tejon street, <laughs> but for you, like, how did, how did you get the scene to happen? Because before that we have like Reese obviously at Boulevard, which is not doing these types of things. And then you have Casey beer as well, all these big ones that aren't doing it. So how did you get, you know, this, this following, obviously you are very successful how did the Kansas city community scene like embrace it so fast? I mean, I started going to a lot of festivals and serving my beer. Um, and we, we still get those people that come in and they like glance at the menu and they're just like, Nope. Like they just, they have no interest in even trying. And so then, you know, (laughs) they leave and that that's fine. Um, but I, I think for the most part, I, I think people just want something interesting. You definitely get your people that, that they want to go to their same bar or restaurant and drink the same beer every Friday or Saturday and have their same meal. And But I think most people have started the, the trend is to try m- more unique things, even on like, you know, untapped and, and stuff like that. I, I think people really want to try 
different and more. And so I don't think it really was that difficult to get people to, to take that approach. Although there are some people who, who still just want their traditional style Pilsner and they don't want to give, um, something unique a try. And, and that's fine. I, I think that's every now and then I want just a plain Pilsner too. So I get it. But, um, but yeah, I don't really think that it was that hard. And I, I don't think that, um, other breweries that are trying are starting to do that in the area. I don't think they're having any trouble with it. Like I, I think people are excited. They want to go, they want to give it a shot. They want to see how they handle these adjuncts. Um, so I don't know that it was really that difficult. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Going back actually to the inception of your brewery, and this is specifically for us because we're trying to get money. How were you able to pull off the the uh, the uh, crowdfunding? So I I forgot how much you had raised. Um, was it, it was over twenty thousand dollars, right? It was yeah twenty five thousand dollars over twenty thousand dollars. You guys raised. Um, talk about the the inception first of building a brewery in Shawnee and wanting to do that, right? Like why Shawnee, and then um. how it's successful right and then how you did the crowdfunding because we as a podcast are not lucrative by the way if you're listening you should sign up for our patreon because we have some great things going on and courtney's beer review will be on patreon so you should definitely um you should definitely subscribe anyway courtney the floor is yours because you are the master fundraiser Um, well, I, I, I chose Shawnee because I live in Shawnee now. Um, and I, I definitely looked other places. I looked on the Missouri side. Um, I looked, you know, in Lenexa, I looked a lot of places, but really when I, I found the location that we're at now, it just felt like the right place. It's a, a straight shot from my house, you know, 15 minutes away. So I can, you know, pick up my kids from school. I can drop them off at the daycare, whatever. And then, get in there versus, you know, having to drive across town or, you know, have to hop on some major interstate that's probably, you know, rush hour right now or something. So it was just like a really, it it was just a a natural place. I also really liked, um, if you, if you go to the brewery, you'll see that it is basically in the most overlooked part of Shawnee that exists. When you think of Shawnee, you think of Shawnee Mission Parkway, um, cause that's where everything is. You don't really think of Johnson Drive, which is where everything used to be. Um, so I really liked the idea of establishing a brewery in a place that, um, needs a little bit of a, uh, I guess a little bit of a, a life put back into it. And since we opened, there are tons of things opening down there and, you know, in the, in the works to open. And I'm really hoping that it eventually becomes kind of a a walkable, bikeable like area where people and families want to hang out. And I think we're moving toward that, but at the time there really wasn't anything down there. And I think that also appealed to me, just the idea of like going in somewhere that has a history and, um, trying to rebuild it. And, and the building that we went into, actually, I later found out the mayor of Shawnee, um, her name's Michelle. Her dad owned that building and operated oh, wow. a business in that that in that building for uh, a quite a long time. And so, for her family, it was very cool to like come in in and look at how it has changed, and you know, to see it doing something besides sitting vacant or having you know multiple businesses come in and out of it. Um, so that was kind of what I sought to do. I didn't know that 
that there was going to be that connection for, for our families. But, um, that, and I, I think there are other businesses that are going in down there now that, that feel the same way about it, that just really want to bring back some, some life to that part of Shawnee. So that's, I think, part one. <laughs> Would you consider that old Shawnee? I'm a transplant, so I don't know what technical neighborhoods are. Yes, they, they call it old Shawnee or old Shawnee town. Um, but I mean, it's like the downtown, right? Like where you, if you're going to have a parade, you're not going to have it on Shawnee Mission Parkway next to the Coles no. and the McDonald's. Like you're going to have it there. It's just that most yeah, people don't go there for anything other than parades or old Shawnee days. Um, but I think that's changing and I'm, I'm excited about it. Oh, it's for, for sure. It's super cool. I, I have a buddy that lives probably a mile down the road from you guys on Johnson drive. And every time I like drive to visit him, it's great. And I've told my wife, you know, we're house hunting right now. I'm like, if you want to look in the Shawnee area, it just kind of <laughs> reminds me of where I grew up. And I don't, I don't mind that, you know, have the perks of the small town with the big city, you know, a couple miles down in the landscape. It's great. Yeah, for sure. There there are a lot of really cool neighborhoods and houses around there that like you just don't really think about when you're like, you know, young and wanting to move somewhere, but it's it's cool to be able to like I have a friend that just moved like somewhere close by the brewery that he can walk to the brewery and I'm like, "What a concept, like to to move somewhere that you can walk to civilization." Like so anyway, I I am really excited and I hope that a lot of younger people will start to kind of think that way and move move to some of those neighborhoods that are around the, the downtown area. I mean, as as trends are in Kansas City, I'm, I'm sure that's what's going to happen, especially with like affordability. And of course, you guys are there. And yeah, that, that definitely seems like the trend. So I'm super excited for you guys. And Shawnee, looks like Reese is going to, wow, Reese was going to be down there. That, that's breaking news on Fountain <laughs> City Sports Media. Media, Dude. Reese is thinking about moving to Shawnee. Hang tight. I'm about, I'm about to totally just like shout out Shawnee right now. Fantastic disc golf course course fantastic brewery obviously thanks to your brewery i was indoctrined to old shawnee pizza which just blew my mind and also it's just like it's a really nice part of town you got a lot of stuff you need in shawnee area so i mean fight me everybody (laughs) courtney helping us get breaking news here on found city sports media she is our on the ground uh beat reporter (laughs) for shawnee love it yeah, so that that's why I chose there. Um, as far as everything else, um, fundraising, I just think the the brewing community is very small. Um, it's big, but it's small, and so everyone knows everyone. And you know, anytime that there's a brewery that's opening, I try to contribute. Like I, you know, it it just I think more is better. And so the the crowdfunding thing, um, you know, a lot of people that I had you know, brewed with previously or come into contact with, they all, I mean, they just, they came together and it, it was, it was really cool. Um, the, the guy that got me into brewing, um, his name's Angelo. He actually was like the crowd funder that put us over our goal. And, you know, I was like all weepy eyed, like really, you know, and he's like, Oh, it's fine. I don't need anything. I just wanted to give you some, some money to put you over. I'm like, Oh yeah, you're sitting there at your computer waiting to be that person. I know it like, <laughs> but anyway, he will never admit that. I'm sure. <laughs> Shout out Angelo. Hell yeah. Thanks. Thanks for helping out Angelo. Um, that's awesome. No, yeah, we, we, we really appreciate that. And like I said, like we, we are trying to be crowd funders as well. So your story is inspiring, uh, but your product is way better than ours. We just, we just talk about sports and like make people talk about crime stories when they're, 
when they want to talk about beer <laughs> or like with like skip at, at wellworks we ended up talking like 40 minutes about skip being a basketball player in florida then playing all these like draft picks that were almost nba players like we, we're like oh shit, we're supposed to talk about beer okay so tell us about your barrel program it was funny um yeah that, that's what we do all right back to beer back yeah beer okay so courtney one of my personal um, favorite things is New England style IPAs, hazy IPAs, and I know you guys specialize in those. Tell me about what your favorite hops are and what you use, because you guys do different beers almost weekly, right? So what? So what do you see working like hop wise? We can we can get nerdy on this podcast. Like what what are some hops <laughs> that you really enjoy um, with IPAs, or what really works with New England style for you? Um, I. I love IPAs. It is my uh, style of choice um, if I'm going to drink a beer. Um, I think people, generally speaking, that come to my brewery very much like sours and um, gravitate towards sours, but I actually don't like to drink sours. Uh, my wife likes to drink them, which is why I started to brew them. Um, so I like IPAs. Yeah, yeah. It, it did not go well in the beginning at all. Sours are, are tricky. Um, <laughs> but, um, I love Citra. I, I, I know people are like sick of Citra, I love Citra. but I, I dig it. Like I just, it, it's, if any beer has Citra in, I'm like, that one is what I want. Um, but I also, you know, find myself starting to kind of, there's all these new hops. And so you, you want to try all of them. But I, I'm starting to find myself gravitating back to, to something like Simcoe or Mosaic, just some some oldies but goodies, you know, like some old reliables that are out there. Um, but I obviously still really enjoy um, trying new things. I, I think Idaho's a great hop. I love Galaxy. Um, I wish it was not as expensive as, as it is, but oh, I love Galaxy. Um, so, it, I mean, it just depends. We... We've been brewing, um, we try different, you know, we've tried some mandarina, we've tried, I mean, we, we tried lemon drop, we, if there's a new hop out, I'm like, oh, let's give it a try, but at the end of the day, I, I tend to gravitate back towards some of the more, um, more common ones that people I think are probably, um, familiar with, you know, not necessarily the ones that, that are, that are new and shiny. Um, if they yeah. don't have a name, I usually don't try to use them. Like if, if they don't have a name right. yet, experimental, one, I two, usually three, four, wait five. for the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of weird to put the non name on a label. Like it, you know, HBC, like, eh. so anyway, <laughs> I try to wait for the name. <laughs> Going going back to Galaxy and also I know Nelson is also kind of expensive. Why why are hops expensive? Like certain ones like Galaxy and Nelson, which is my favorite hop. I love Nelson. But like why why yeah. are things expensive? Is it because there's not enough of it to grow or it only grows in one region? I, I think it's a combination. So it's you know, it's a fairly new hop and so not a lot of places are growing it. It can only be grown in certain parts of the, the country or even the world. And also when there's like a fantastic hop that comes out and everyone's starting to use it, it just goes really quickly. And it usually goes to, you know, very larger breweries that can buy a larger quantities than, than me. Um, I think people are usually surprised to find out that breweries of my size typically pay the same amount as what you would pay if you were a home brewer getting on, you know, Yakima and buying wow. hops. Yeah. So it's super expensive. I mean, I, it's not un unusual for me to pay $16 a pound, $20 a pound, depending on what Jeez. the the hop is. Yeah. So 
there's not a lot of um, profit to be made in you know twelve to fifteen pound dry hop additions per barrel. Like it, but that's you know that's, that's what I want to drink, so that's that's what I do. But um, but yeah, hops. Hopefully someday will not be as elusive or as expensive. But right, you know, you never know. Like with the rise of things like impossible meat, you know, and genetically modified different foods, do you think there's any possibility in the future of making something a little more simple, like a genetically modified hop into existence? Well, I think there already are. I mean, there are a lot of different, I mean, your typical hops are just pellets, right? Like that's, that's what, or, or cones. Um, and so they went from cones to pellets and now they're starting, um, to have some different options. There are some liquid um, hops as well as some hops really? that are, um, kind of similar to like a dust or a powder. Um, so there are, but they're really expensive right now. And, um, maybe as I, I think a lot of them are like extracts of the hops. So I think that will eventually get costs down for sure. Um, but right now, I mean, there's only like, you know, five or six different hops that are in that form. And so it's expensive and you don't quite know what to do with them yet or how to use them. Um, we have started to use some of them, um, but they're, they're hard to get a hold of. Usually you have to buy like a, you like a huge jug of it and it's, you know, a lot of money for that. And you don't know if it's going to work out, but anyway, eventually, yes, I think that I hope that there are going to be some additional options. Um, I just, they're not there yet. Courtney, going back to sours, since you guys are prominently, you're not predominantly sours because you have also some great stouts, which we'll talk about right now. But tell us why sometimes sours can be tricky to make. Um, I would assume you guys do the kettle system for sours, but like what, uh, what can make it tricky? Because you guys do so many different ones and I'm assuming they're, you know, you're making them so many, like, I'm just kind of thinking of you guys making them, like, they're probably small batch, and then you're making so many different styles, like, yeah, what, what uh, challenges can you have with those? Uh, I mean, the biggest challenge with sours is just that <clears throat> you're not um, in control of the variables as much. So you're brewing a beer, and then you're pitching a um, lactobacillus strain, and just waiting for it to sour it. And then after that, you're boiling it and then pitching, you know, a, a normal yeast strain. And so there's just like a prolonged couple of, of days in between there that you, you kind of have to, uh, there's a lot of things that impact it. And when you're just getting started, you don't really know what to do. So I, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I was reading, you know, articles that are talking about using, you know, an unmilled grain piece of grain and putting it in and things like that. And, and then that just gets like really gross really quickly. Um, <laughs> definitely there were times that my wife was like, what is growing in the basement? <laughs> it needs to go. And I'm like, but it's a sour. And she's like, I'm never drinking that. So <laughs> I have gotten much better at it. Um, but I mean, definitely in the beginning when I was trying to figure it out, I had some that like definitely <laughs> were like baby vomit smells, you know, like uh, all the different, like the terrible things that you don't want. <laughs> and it was really tricky, but fortunately I feel like now sours are the thing that I feel, um, the most confidence about brewing, um, which is kind of interesting, but I've just done it so many times now that it, it kind of is, um, it just 
kind of come natu- comes naturally now. And, you know, you figure out what works and what doesn't work. You know, you figure out what, what type of lactobacillus is more conducive to your environment. And you figure out how to adjust your water so that it can really, you know, sour quickly. And there are just things that you start to learn that took some time. Um, and at the time when I was learning, kettle sours weren't really that common yet. Like people weren't doing them very often. They were you know, making a Berliner with a, a yeast strain that takes, you know, six months instead of 24 to 48 hours. So it, it was just kind of an uncharted territory. And even the people in the, the Lawrence Brewers Guild, they weren't, they weren't doing it. So it was kind of something I had to learn on my own through, you know, my own research. And, and then, um, after I started to, you know, figure it out, I found that a lot of the people in the guild would like come to me and I was like, wow, like they're Hell coming yeah. to me for answers. They should. So it was, yeah. it was kind of, it was kind of a cool thing, but, but sours definitely, I think, um, I think it's the thing that people come to the brewery for. Um, and I, and I love it. Like I love when some like big burly dude, like just walks up to the bar and he's like, I want the purple sour. And you're like, yes. (laughs) And then he like drinks 20 of them and you're just like, Oh God, like, yes. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, you know, slushy sours and like regular sours are badass. Like I'm, I'm not a big sour fan, but when you put like a ton of fruit in it or it's really sugary like give me all of it i'm not burly for those of you that know so i'll have like 10 of them not 20 like like the burly guy (laughs) because i'll get totally faded i got a quick question so like i saw earlier on the website it said you guys don't brew flagship beers because you know the the innovation's like half the fun of the whole thing what would happen if like a bunch of big burly dudes came in and just destroyed the purple sour and like it gained such a cult following that people wanted more and more of it would you ever consider doing a flagship in that regards uh that's actually a pretty good question because um i I think that is happening i don't know if cult following is the right word but um, or phrase, but I definitely think that we have brewed several beers that people continuously come in and ask about, and those beers are not on tap all of the time. And so it is something that we've talked about, not necessarily for the like flagship appeal, but just like brewing them more frequently. Um, I, I don't know that I'll ever have a beer that's on tap all of the time, but brewing them quarterly or, or something like that, um, is definitely in the works. We just added, um, we started with 10 taps at the brewery. And at the time when we put those 10 in, I was like, God, 10 is a lot of taps. Like it is just a lot of taps to, to keep fill like full all the time. And what we found is that we were pulling beers off of the wall to put new beers on because we were doing some event. And so the 10 just weren't enough. And so we were like, okay, well, let's add some more. And we started thinking about it and I was like, well, I don't want to do this again. Like if if I don't want to add five and then in two years, add five more. So we were like, let's just, let's double it. So we added 10 more taps to the wall, which um, we haven't actually put any beer on them that will hopefully be happening this week. Um, because then I found out that 20 beers is a shit ton of beers, um, (laughs) to have on, uh, but um, I think that the extra taps will allow us to more frequently have some rotating beers that are on a lot or on often. So the, the purple beer, for example, it was called purple pineapple. Um, yeah, it will be making a reappearance um, because oh, I, I sat at the bar the other day. Breaking news on Found City Sports <laughs> <Yeah>. Media. 
<laughs> I was sitting at the bar like a couple of weeks ago and we had had that beer on for a, a couple weeks, not very long. Um, but I had sent a couple kegs out into like distribution and I was just like sitting at the bar, like working and I just watched like at least like six or eight people in like the two hours that I was sitting there, they would walk in and they'd be like, do you have that purple beer? And I'm like, no, we don't have that purple <laughs> beer. Like, so it kind of made me like realize like when they have that beer on somewhere else, like at old Chicago or wherever, and they come to the brewery, they, they want that, that beer that they had. So we're trying to be a little bit more strategic about what we're sending out and trying to make sure that we also have it on tap, at least for a period of time. So yes, I, I'm considering it, although I will not call them flagships. <laughs> so kind of the McRib approach, you bring it out like once yeah. in a blue moon and people <laughs> lose their mind. Shake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a, like a seasonal beer that happens to be seasonal every quarter. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the uh, the the analogies that you can make, like, I don't know, Pliny the Elder, McRib. That's the one. That's that's the analogy. <laughs> that's that's fancy sports media. OK, I'm going to ask one more beer question and then we'll ask some fun questions. So in in conclusion ish, right, um, uh, Courtney has some amazing IPAs, some amazing sours, but she also has some amazing sweet stouts. Uh, which is awesome. There's one, and I'm going to mispronounce it, I'm sure. Uh, Coffee K, is that what you guys call it? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of pronunciations that happen. Um, I think the bartenders just say the coffee one um, <laughs> right now because it's the only one we have on tap that has coffee in it. Um, but, but yeah, that one we uh, rolled out last week, and it, it's a, it's a barrel aged imperial stout. Um, that we with added Weller, with Weller barrels, not just not just yes. barrel age, but I mean, Courtney is Courtney is not messing around, so which is really cool. So yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but please talking about it. I just wanted to highlight that because Weller's like badass. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing that I've I I found is that um, if you're not going to order, you know, a truckload of barrels, it's it's kind of hard to get a hold of. Um, some better bourbon barrels like a Weller barrel. Um, but we, we've gotten, um, a couple of, of decent ones. The, the Weller barrel was one. I mean, Buffalo Trace and, you know, Four Roses, those are all great anyway, but just having something that you can't always get. Um, so we had two Weller barrels that we, we put, um, Imperial Stouts in and, uh, it sat for, I think, 14 months and then we pulled it and, um, I put Vietnamese cinnamon sticks on it and then um, Vietnamese coffee on it. And it definitely is spicy. It has like a, a lot of cinnamon, but not um, not like that, like Christmas cinnamon or like red hot cinnamon, just more of like a sweet cinnamon. So I definitely really like it. It's it's one of the um, uh, I, I think it's one of my favorite Imperial Stouts that we've done. What's most interesting about it is that it has coffee and cinnamon in it, but that approach just to have two things in it and only two things is actually quite minimalist for us. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm usually like, Oh, let's add vanilla or let's add, you know, brownies, you know, whatever. But (laughs) so it, it is a, I'm sure for every other brewery in the area, that's still a lot of in it. But for me, it was like subtle. Yeah, I mean, well, and I, I used to work for Weldworks, so, you know, like, we they put a ton of in all their barrels. Um, a couple questions on that. So, tell us how many barrels you have 
in your barrel program kind of waiting around and we had talked to skip about this and skip told us a horror story when when he worked for black project and um he he had had to dump i think i forgot what he said over 200 barrels because it had been infected so if you have any horror stories that you feel comfortable sharing those are always <laughs> fun because it's over now right you don't have to think about it. like like now it's funny right so if you have any of those horror stories those are always fun too <laughs> um yeah so we're pretty small so we don't have like a ton of barrels um i have the the larger uh wine and barrel uh and bourbon barrels i probably have maybe 12 to 15 um at any given time that have beer in them and then i try to fill them um two or three times a year that way that i'm not like always have my my beer like my barrel aged beer coming out all at the same time but i mean it's hard when you like i brew a three barrel batch and that three barrel batch can only fill one barrel so i have to order you know four barrels and then they're you have to fill them quickly so i'm brewing four you know three barrel and so they're all getting filled at the same time so then they all come out at the same time so i've been trying to like fill four you know every four months or something um to try to have some some level of staggering but primarily i have bourbon um barrels i do have some rum barrels i do have a port barrel that's getting really close to 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 being used um but almost all of them have imperial stouts or barley wines in them and then i recently started buying um smaller format barrels from some of the local distilleries and putting some of the sours in them, um, which we haven't done before. We haven't done any barrel aged sours, but the sort of, we're a clean brewery, so we don't do anything with Brett or anything like that. So that will definitely be like a unique twist on it because I don't think a lot of breweries are doing barrel aged clean sours. Um, but because of our size, it's just, I don't really want to mix the two. Um, maybe some way, some time down the road, we might get into some more wild beers, but right now that's kind of the route. So, um, that'll be kind of interesting, um, to see like a, a barrel aged sour that's in like a gin barrel that's clean and not, you know, infected in some way. So we'll see. Um, I just thought that would like add a layer to some of the beers that we're doing regularly and some of the events that we're doing. So we probably have, um, maybe 40 uh, of the small formats that um, they're like five to seven gallons each. So they they will, we'll be able to turn them over pretty quickly because they're, you know, a lot less contact is needed um, for them or time, I guess, because they have better contact with the beer. So anyway, that is something that we haven't done yet that we have in in the brewery right now. Um, As far as like horror stories go, I don't really have, um, any like terrible like infection with barrels, but I did um, have a really unique barrel that I was like so excited about and I got it in and I filled it the next day and I, well, I started to fill it and I was like looking at it and I'm like, this looks kind of rough. Like, I don't know if it's gonna like leak or not. And so I started looking at it and I felt okay about it. Like, okay. And I like contacted them and they were like, well, we got it from, you know, this distillery that they keep them outside. So they do look more weathered. And I'm like, it was a whistle pig barrel. So that's what it was. And I was like, (laughs) okay, you're telling me this is probably okay. And I'm still kind of looking at it and I take like my flashlight and I'm like shining it in there and I don't see any light. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to try this. So anyway, I started pouring this 
uh, Imperial Stout into it very slowly, and it just leaked everywhere. I mean, uh, everywhere. And so obviously, oh. like I stopped, but uh, there was plenty that got wasted. It was like it was like prolonged. Like we were, it was good. It Oof. was good. It was good, and then it wasn't good anymore. And so I just had this mm. like stout all over the floor. I like wheeled the barrel over to the drain and just like watched it just leak. And then obviously contacted them and was very unhappy because they're supposed to like not do that especially <laughs> since i like literally filled it the next day after i got it um, but i did have i got two barrels from um two whistle pig barrels and one was fine and which is why i went with the one that didn't look as good because i was like we better get this thing filled but no it was it was really it, it it pained me and they obviously did not have any more of those barrels available for me to buy so i'm very upset with them and sad about it and i'm hoping that the next time i order barrels they're gonna have something really unique and rare to give me <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah whistle pig mm-hmm. we are we are watching you just like we're watching alberto mondesi <laughs> on the kansas city royals which is from another pocket <laughs> we need to have a watch list <laughs> whistle pig yeah. mondesi it hurt it hurt it still hurts (laughs) oh man well uh, sorry unlike that story though obviously you have some amazing uh things coming down the pipeline with the barrels obviously with your sours all right so now let's let's ask some fun question guys i know uh kyle you have you have one ready uh go go for it speaking of watch list (laughs) we heard you're a uh, comics fan and I recently finally got around to watching the HBO Watchmen but I'm a big fan of the original Watchmen and lots of other Marvel and DC so I wondered what are your favorite comics um I, so I was definitely like into um you know Marvel and, and DC back uh probably before I had children that take up all of my time um so now I'm more on the I need to watch that. I really want to watch that. When can we make time to watch that uh, boat? Um, but we, when when COVID first happened, um, we were like, let's watch every single Marvel movie in some order. We weren't sure what order to watch them in, but we were like, okay, should we watch them chronologically? Should we watch them the way they came out? You know, we went back and forth and I have a 14 year old who just like wants to watch them all in one night. And I'm like, dude, there's a bazillion of them. Like this isn't going to happen. Um, but anyway, we did watch them all, um, over the course of like, God, it was probably like, it took us probably like a month because we would like start one and then the, the baby was like bawling and sort of like, uh, but, um, I love Iron Man. I, I just, I really like that character. I, I like that it's not like some bizarre thing that happened to him that made him unique and strong and powerful. It, it's more man-made or technology made. So he's always been a character that I have really liked. Um, but I obviously am totally into the Wonder Woman movies because obviously that's natural. Um, but the first one was fantastic and it was the first sort of female movie of, of that genre that like my, even my 14 year old son was like, that was a good movie. You know, like he wasn't like, Oh, that was lame. It was about a girl. Um, so anyway, he actually asked to watch it a couple of times. So I dig that. Um, but he wants me to watch all of these, all these, you know, new series that are on Disney, uh, you know, and I'm like, Oh, when are we going to find time to watch all of these? But so I'm not as as big of a fangirl now as I used to be because of these children. <laughs> <laughs> but you definitely have to watch WandaVision if you haven't seen it. It's out it's on, there. He has started watching it. It's on my list. It's so good. <laughs> so good. 
Yeah, WandaVision is pretty great. But speaking of shows in the watch list, I gotta ask then, uh, in your opinion, which are you more looking forward to sitting down and watching? Falcon and Winter Soldier or the Snyder Cut of Justice League? I definitely am excited to watch um, Falcon uh, for sure. Um, mostly because my 14 year old is like really excited, wants to like watch everything right when it comes out. And so anyway, he he is leaning toward that one. So I guess that's the one I, I choose. Good answer. Good answer. That's wholesome. All right. Back back to shows. Um, we also saw that you are a Food Network junkie. So give us your Mount Rushmore of Food Network shows. Man, you guys have done some research. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I, I, I love um, cooking and Food Network. And I think that, that if, if I was going to like start my life over and choose a career path, it would probably be like chef. Um, not that I am a fantastic chef, but just because it's something I really enjoyed doing. And I think it translates really well into beer. Like I'll eat some dessert and I'm like, oh, I got to turn that into a beer or something like that. Um, but I love Bobby Flay. He is like my like man crush. I love him. I, I have a huge crush on him, even though I don't like men. Um, but yeah, so I, I love, love watching beat, beat Bobby Flay. My family hates, you know, all the food network movie shows that I make them watch. Like I'll turn on chopped is like the show in the background. And they're like, seriously, like if you're not going to be watching it, can we watch something else? I'm like, no, but my son and I do like, um, some like chopped, like, uh, um competitions in our kitchen so we'll like oh that's so cool have my wife choose like four ingredients and oh, then we'll like so great. stand over there and like cook this meal and then she like makes us like present it to her in chopped style and then she like judges us and decides who wins <laughs> yeah he's beat me amazing. a couple times good idea every time he beats me it really pisses me off like you don't cook, you make eggs. Like that cereal and eggs. How are you beating me? But so he his his approach is to like throw everything into the blender and like hit blend, and sometimes it works yes. out and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> All right, round two, beer brewing. Go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Special challenge, beer brew. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I am not the Oracle of 39th Street. That's Kyle, but I'm going to do an Oracle take right here. I am predicting that Service Brewing is also going to have its own kitchen with you and your son and and you guys are going to have this amazing food pairing thing in the future. I mean, I'm 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 already seeing like it happening right now. Like I said, I'm I'm hot take Mondo, which I guess that might be a hot take, but but this is more Kyle's realm of being the Oracle. <laughs> Maybe somewhere down the road, for sure. I, I would love to have a kitchen. Not that I would be the one cooking, because that should never happen. But I'll definitely have some opinions about what's being cooked. Um, and last but not least for my questions, I don't know if you guys have any more, but uh, we also heard that you love chips and salsa and that they're, that you even got an ulcer. And because this is public knowledge, I know that it's okay to ask it. Um, what What happened? We have to hear the story. <laughs> I am like unsure where you're getting all of this information, but it is all 100% accurate. Um, <laughs> yes, I, if I could eat a food just like forever, it would be chips and salsa. And not like any like this is the chip and this is the salsa, but like I want to try them all in all combinations. And like when I'm like going to like a you know, like farmer's market, I'm like moving to the salsa area. And when I'm going to like a festival, it's, oh, I want to go to these salsa 
tent. So yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with, with chips and salsa. And, uh, I did give myself an ulcer, um, probably because of the salsa more so than the, uh, chips, but it was during that same period of time where I was like living on my own and didn't have any friends. And so I like would just eat chips and salsa. Like it would be like nine o'clock at night and I'm like, I'm gonna drink a beer eat some chips and salsa and maybe play with some Legos. Like that is what I'm going to do tonight. And yeah, so I gave myself an ulcer. Um, there's really not a great story about it, except that I couldn't eat anything. Like everything made me sick. And so I decided that I was going to get like a, a blizzard from Dairy Queen. And I really like chocolate as well. So I was like, I'm going to get the chocolateiest chocolate blizzard I can from Dairy Queen, and I threw it up literally everywhere, and I had to move because (laughs) (laughs) it was just, like, painful. I just couldn't. It just, like, reminded me of that. Even after the ulcer was healed and I was back to eating chips and salsa, but more restrained amounts of chips and salsa, I had to move. I couldn't be reminded of it. Oh, my goodness. I love that. That's actually a great story. (laughs) Okay, okay. Actually, yeah. I actually have a last, last question. Uh, that was my last question. This is my like last, kind of like Barry Manilow when he does his like farewell tour. This is his farewell, farewell tour. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, again, like the reason why I'm asking this last is because like you, you are a great brewer no matter what. Like you are doing so much stuff in the industry, but you are also the first female owner of a brewery slash female brewer in the Kansas City metro area, which is amazing. Also unfortunate that it's taken so long for this to happen in Kansas City. Um, but tell us what impact you have had on on the Kansas City community and maybe some feedback that you've gotten from people that maybe you've inspired some people to, you know, start a brewery of their own. Yeah, I, I mean, I get asked about it a lot. Um, obviously, it's, you know, the the thing that, that really kind of makes our brewery unique um, is that, that we're woman-owned and, and operated. Um, but when I started brewing, um, I didn't really notice that. it it I, Maybe it's because I'm gay and I was raised, you know, I dressed like a boy. And so I just, like, at some point just, like, stopped letting that be the thing that like held me back. Um, but I didn't really notice it, um, too terribly much. I mean, when I went to the the meeting, obviously everyone at the Lawrence Brewers Guild meeting was predominantly male with like their wives or whatever. But, um, I sort of just decided, you know, that I was, I was just going to do what I wanted to do. And so when I, I went to open a brewery, um, I, I, I really didn't, worry too much about that. Like the people, the other breweries in, in the, the Kansas city area, they, they don't seem to not invite me to something because I'm a woman. Um, they might actually invite me because they want me to be there because I'm a woman. Um, but, um, it, it, it has opened some doors in that regard because I think there are a lot of breweries that are trying to be more inclusive and trying to, you know, work with female brewers or hire female brewers. So I think, um, from the actual industry standpoint in the Kansas city area, um, it's been okay. I, I know that there was like this huge boulevard thing recently. Um, but I, I did not feel, I have not felt like I wasn't, um, invited to the table with, with the boys. Um, I will say that, um, we still get people who come into the brewery regularly and they will walk up to the, the male 
um, who was the bartender and say, Oh, did you brew this beer and not approach the woman? Um, but neither, neither one of them actually brewed the beer, so it didn't really matter. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we have that happen, um, from time to time for sure. And I, I do think there are probably still people who don't come to the brewery because it is owned by a woman and there's just some level of, um, perception that I can't brew good beer because I'm a girl or something. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think I like to think that people in, in whatever industry that they're in that find out that, Hey, I'm doing this, you know, she's a woman, she's in an industry that is male dominated and she's just doing it. I like to think that that sets an example for, for a lot of girls in whatever, you know, industry that they want to go into or a, a boy that wants to go into a, you know, a, a predominantly female career path. Um, I think that just when people can see that and when it's normalized, I think that's probably really great for anyone. Um, and I definitely have had some, some people who have said things to that effect or that, that have said, Hey, my daughter, you know, she really looks up to you because of this. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that, that piece of it. Um, I wish that it wasn't something that existed, but I do like that. Hopefully that's changing. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in such a great moment of opportunity in weeding out all these inequalities and, and implicit biases in every industry. Um, so it's awesome to hear that uh, you've had a largely positive experience. Yeah, yeah, largely. In Kansas um, City. I, I definitely, like, occasionally will hear, you know, negative stories. And, and I, I remember, like, not too long ago, it was right after all of the Boulevard stuff happened, I had a friend that, that called me and he was just, like, so upset and just wanted to tell me the story about this man that he had run into at another brewery and the brewery had said like, Hey, you know, where else should we go? Or the, the guy, the customer had said, where else should we go? And, and my friend said, Oh, you know, if you're driving home on this route, you should hit up this, this, and this. And, and he said, service, that's the one with the girl brewer. And, and my friend said, yeah. And he's like, Oh yeah, we're, we're not going there. And my friend was so upset and just wanted to tell me this. And he's telling me this story and I'm, I'm not shocked. Like, I'm not like in tears about it or like, Oh my God, I cannot believe that happened. And he's just like, why isn't like, why aren't you more upset about this? And I'm like, that happens all the time. Like, you're not a girl. So you don't see it. Just like, I'm not black. So I don't see it. Like, right. it happens all of the time and you don't notice it unless you're a part of whatever category is being discriminated against. So. Anyway, it does happen. It sucks. Yeah. But I think that it we are at a, a time where people are at least starting to acknowledge that it exists. And I think that's probably the first step. Yeah. Well, I'm I, I'm sorry that you have to be the like the first pioneer, right? Because like you already are doing like, like I said, so many great things as a brewer, you know, regardless of male, female or whatever, right? Like, like you are already doing things that are, that haven't been done in the beer industry in Kansas city. Um, and I think people really need to know that, like, like the, like what you're doing with the sours, what you're doing, the imperial styles, like you're doing weller barrels. I know this is like stuff that like people in the like beer industry, like, Oh yeah, cool. But like, it is a big deal. It is a big deal for Kansas city to have, styles like that come out and then of course your knowledge of like ipas and stuff and not trying to make like oh i'm just gonna have a pilsner on top i'm just gonna hef on tap like <laughs> like beer industry is totally just like blowing up of different styles <laughs> and you are one of the pioneers of that like of of cr creativity so 
thank you for what you do, Courtney. Um, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you are super busy with like all, not only are you the brewer, the owner, but I know you work in the tap room as well. You obviously do marketing because I was the one talking to you on marketing. So, <laughs> so I mean, you literally do everything. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for your quality beers. And of course, you're a great person. I'm so glad that we got to talk to you, especially about that crime story stuff because that was really cool too. Uh, <laughs> so thank you again. Um, y'all that are listening, please go to Service Brewing and try their amazing beers. We even had some breaking news about what some beers that can come out uh, in the near future. So breaking here on Found City Sports Media. Woo! Um, thanks again, Courtney. This was awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Sweet. We'd like to thank Courtney for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media and would like to thank you for joining us as well. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews including one from Courtney herself. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.